Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Sickle, the stories-based podcast that interviews donors, thought leaders, and professionals in the field of fundraising. Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand, original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. We're thrilled to feature the development debrief on Evertrue Studios Podcast Network. Check us out at evertrue.com backslash studios. Do you ever wonder what really needs to be done in preparation for an ask? I talked with Amanda about the work she's done in the last year plus in her role created and designed to work with all parts of the advancement team. Amanda has had success keeping constituents engaged at all levels, and she compares her work to setting the table before a meal. I love this description. So let's learn more about Amanda. Amanda Pulowski is Director of Constituent Engagement at the Taft School, an independent boarding school in Watertown, Connecticut. Prior to her role at Taft, she was a member of the annual fund team and served as director of special events. A passionate and creative professional, she works with each part of the advancement team to connect the school's constituents to the institution through events, communication, engagement, and stewardship. Amanda works closely with the volunteers of the school to ensure that their practices are relatable and engaging across generations and relationships. She's a volunteer herself, working as an advisor to the Red Rhino Fund, a nine-student board tasked with raising funds to grant awards to local organization in support of education, literacy, and the arts, and is a member of the Connecticut Community Foundation Women's Giving Circle. She also serves as board president at her children's school. Amanda graduated from Albertus Magnus with a degree in humanities and attended Boston University's Center for Professional Education for Fundraising. She and her husband, Artie, have two boys, Jack and Owen. Now let's get started. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to The Debrief. Thank you so much for having me, and congratulations on your recent 100 episodes. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was one of the last things we did was the Independent School mini-series, and I'm happy that we're going to be continuing those conversations today since you are at TAF. Can't wait to hear from you on constituent engagement. Yes, I'm excited. Let's go back to the beginnings, because I think every great idea always has a good story behind it. What mm-hmm. inspired your role? In general, the lands, like if you look at philanthropy, the landscape has changed so much and really significantly in the last decade. If you look at donors and how they give and who they give to, and then on the flip side of that, the organizations that are vying for those gifts, the competition between them. Um, there are so many incredible organizations that we can give to, and they make it all, they all make it really easy to do so. Um, so I think as an institution, we need to be aware of those challenges and really meet donors where they are. My role really evolved from my previous, which was director of special events and my title, not unlike now really defined what I did. I, I hosted our events, right? Um, So in the last few years, my work has really expanded, and we took that foundation of identifying and organizing our regional and international events and layered on stewardship and communication and, and working with alumni volunteers 
among other things. I think, uh, you know, anyone who's working in philanthropy knows that we all wear a lot of hats and that really aids in our success as an organization. We all do better work when we see how our work impacts our teammates and our institution. Um, so yeah, that's really <laughs> where it all began. And in your previous role, were you in the alumni relations department? I was. We have a director of alumni relations in our office and her and I work very closely together. So what, I, what I'm so excited about with this is that it feels to me like a blend of like major gifts discovery work and really high level executed strategic alumni relations work. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I think my role really, I I have the benefit of working with all different departments within our, our team. We're a team of about 20 folks. So I get to work with database and obviously alumni relations and our frontline fundraisers on really helping to identify those prospects and then looking to see how we can engage them better. So tell us about your day-to-day and And again, I'm really excited about this because I've had a couple of roles in my career where they've been created and I've just been told like, go forth that it sounds like that was sort of what happened with you. So like, how did you develop your day to day and your goals? Talk to us as if someone who's listening might want to incorporate this on their own team. Yeah. So I've been really lucky in the sense that our director is super supportive of being creative and thinking outside the box and really He's really challenged our office to do all that work and given us the reins to do it. So in my role, I've really been able to build, which I love to be able to do, right? To be able to look at an issue or a problem and say, how can we solve that? And so rewarding. It's so rewarding. It really is. And think creatively around how we're communicating with our, with our constituents, whether it be an alum or a parent or a grandparent or a friend, and then how that benefits us. And in some cases, it, you see the benefit immediately. In other cases, it's really an investment in our future. Alums that are celebrating their 10-year reunion, when they come back in 15 years and they celebrate their 25th, they're in a very different financial situation. And they're if we've engaged them well from the beginning, then those conversations, when they hit their 25th, they're going to look a lot different, I think. So my day-to-day is it changes. It evolves all the time. It means a lot of meetings for me (laughs) these days and connecting with our different teams. But it also means there's a lot of learning involved and strategic thinking and testing things out too. And I think it's okay. You kind of have to accept and, and allow yourself to test things out and know that not everything's going to be a home run, but, but the ones that are really meaningful and they're all very genuine and authentic. So when you talk about engagement, I know for a while, what that meant for you was zoom, but what are the different forms of engagement on your team? You know, we do virtual events and we're getting back to in-person events, of course, Mm -hmm. um, which we're really excited to do. Um, But it's also how we communicate with them. So whether that be a new newsletter that we're publishing, we have an, an alumni engagement council that I work with that really acts as a sounding board for our office to say, how can we engage your peers better? What will resonate with them? What's important to them? And that council is, was built strategically with multiple generations being, um, with multiple, multiple generations, uh, 
Oh my God, I can't think of the word. You can edit it. <laughs> and do you that manage was, that group? I do. I do. So that was born with your role. It was born with my role. It I was. love that. Yep. So it's a lot of building, but having multiple generations represented there means that we can segment our, you know, how we communicate with people, how we, how we look to engage them differently. And the people that were tapped for that, did they have demonstrated histories of giving? Not necessarily. Some of them work dual volunteer roles. They are head class agents or assistant class agents or class secretaries. So they're already engaged with our office in other capacities. Others were just folks that I had connected with. They've always attended events. They've always been really responsive to communications. That doesn't mean that they're, they're capital donors, but but we all have those people, like the people, you know, will take a meeting, you know, will show up. Those, those people are important. They are. They are. Um, and I know there are fundraisers out there, <laughs> even on my team, who would probably argue with me for saying this. But I think that it's important that we engage everybody as a whole. Yeah not just those capital donors, because that's going to create a sense of community. That's not to say that we're not segmenting and looking at people by their giving history and really trying to drill in on how we can engage them more. But I think that it's, you know, when building the council, we really looked at folks who had relationships with their peers. So that might not mean that they're a capital donor, but they have really close ties with folks in their class who can make a huge impact on our institution and really help with those relationships too. Yeah. And have a sense of the culture. I I love it. I love that you're able to be a bit of a Switzerland in this case, but let's (laughs) talk about a bit easier, I think. Yeah. And, and I think that's what people love about alumni relations. I think they feel that it's pure and I, I get it. I see that. And I see that for this, but I'm also <laughs> like born and bred MGO. So let's talk about the solicitation <laughs> major gifts piece of your work, because it is a piece. And, and I want to ask you this question that I think we should all be asking ourselves, why is engagement critical when preparing for a solicitation. Absolutely. So it's safe to assume that anyone who feels connected, who feels like they are an informed part of your community, those folks are much more likely to respond to the ask, right? So engagement work really sets the table for that and aids in maintaining the relationship between the institution and and your donor. Um, If we're engaging our constituents well, it should make that ask, whether it's your annual fund appeal, a capital gift for a specific need, it should make those conversations that much easier Mm -hmm. and the donor that much more open to supporting your organization. The more times that we can connect with a donor on that personal level, whether it's at an event through a creative communication all of these things that feel really organic and and they are authentic they also still have a strategy behind them so i and i think you it's important to look at engagement as a big picture but also constituent specific we we touched on this a little bit before and while segmenting donors and creating that focused stewardship and engagement based on their giving or um or inclination are worthwhile and absolutely necessary you want to make sure that you're working to connect and engage all constituents, regardless of their capacity. Um, it just, it, like I said, it, it really creates that larger sense of community 
and it's a, an, an investment in your future. I think there's no better feeling than working an event and having someone walk in who you've met with before. And there's this really warm welcome with, mm-hmm. with the alum and it, it feels amazing. You know, I think so often we are meeting people for the first time and building relationships, but having that established sense of community is, is awesome. It is. And I think it's really important. And, and I do think that that's something that, that I I like to think that we do it really well here at Taft, I think. And it, and it starts from the admissions department, right? We hear so many times when new families come in that they chose the school because they could feel that sense of community when they got to campus. Mm-hmm. whether it was for their initial tour or their admitted student day. And I think that we all try really hard and we are really genuine in the work to make that sense of community across the board from admissions to, to advancement. Yeah. Now you said something before that I really like. You use the term setting the table. Yes. And I love thinking about setting a table for a solicitation like literally seeing the beautiful <laughs> setting and the plate and the, and the silverware and what does the placemat have and what does the cup look like? Are there multiple cups? What needs to be in place in, in Taft's opinion, in your opinion, as you set that table, let's extend that metaphor a little bit um, before someone's ready for an ask. It goes back to making the donor feel connected and depending on the ask, that may mean focused and a focused engagement plan and finding out what really resonates with the donor and aligning that with your organization's work or a specific need at your organization. So I think putting in the time to really get to know the donor is vital in that work. If you have a current parent whose child is in theater and having an incredible experience, the likelihood of you approaching them for a gift to, you know, fund the new turf field and then fulfilling that it's pretty slim and it can give the impression of being unprepared or unconnected and and you don't truly know them. But if you know that their student is heavily involved in the arts and that they support arts initiatives with other organizations, then you want to engage them around those initiatives, invite them to a behind the scenes tour of the upcoming fall musical, you know, save two seats in the front row for them or do things that they can can connect with and really get behind and want to support. Yeah. And do you work in conjunction with the gift officers on some of these things? Like how do you, how does that work? Yeah. So I think my work with them, we really started to connect in our work when we started our, our virtual events, which I think we'll, we'll touch on shortly and identifying folks who are on prospect lists and we really want to engage. And if we can do that in a way where they're, it's a, it's really about them, right? Or it, it appears to be about them, but it's also strategic for our office. So yeah, tell us about this really fun <laughs> term, Rhino Crash 2.0, talks, teachings, and times together. The Rhino is your mascot, right? Rhino is our mascot and a group of rhinos is a crash. So our events we dub as Rhino Crash. Um, Rhino Crash 2.0 was born spring of 2020 when we were all remote. You know, we were trying to think of ways that we could stay connected with our constituents that, and that 
felt very thoughtful and deliberate. Um, we were constantly Zooming with one another and attending an absurd amount of webinars, um, which really helped us because then we became more confident in using technology to connect. We were an office that, you know, we were always on campus. We, we didn't work remotely, so it was all very new to us. We also knew that our MGOs were gonna have to start connecting with our constituents via Zoom in order to make asks and have those conversations. And we figured, well, we decided let's look at it through an engagement lens and how can we engage while using this technology and, and Rhino Crash 2.0 was born. We really tapped into the knowledge of our MGOs and we have an amazing bulletin editor who, who helps identify um, constituents, alumni and parents to highlight in our, in our magazine. We looked at our database and we were really looking for alumni who were doing interesting work that could speak of this work that and and benefit our greater community whether I mean we did some pure entertainment rhino crashes we've done wine tastings and and you know whis a whiskey education we did really fun things like that we also did really deep academic conversations where our former head of school came and spoke with an alum who was who also happened to be the former U.S. ambassador to China and they were having this you know these really deep intellectual conversations so it, it offers a variety of events it also it's also much more inclusive I think because you know while in-person events are wonderful and, and important they're not inclusive to everybody not everybody can make that that reception in New York City or San Francisco. And, and this allowed our constituents all over the world to jump on Zoom and join us and see one another. We have been really deliberate in, in hosting these as events so everybody can see everyone who's on if your camera's on. And I think that that has been one of the most special parts of it because you see everyone, oh, you know, you see each other's, you see a classmate or an old teacher and it's really heartwarming. The first, you know, five minutes or so are, are folks catching up with one another. So it's been really exciting and, you know, just over two years later, we've hosted more than 50 of these events and, and we continue to. Yeah, I think even with in-person coming back into the fold, our, our virtual events, they're not going to go anywhere. We're, we we certainly haven't hosted as many as when we started, but, but we, you know, last month we hosted one, so they'll continue. And what did you observe in the way of attendance over the last two years? Like, where did you start? And then did it grow? Did it decline? Yeah, one of the big things that I have noticed, initially we had our attendance was much higher and our yield, so those who registered and then attend, actually attended the event um, was much higher. And I think that in the last two years, we've all kind of realized that I can sign up for this and I know that I'm going to get the recording afterwards anyway. So if I don't make it, it's okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we went from like a 70% yield, we're probably closer to... 55 at this point, but we're still, we still have registrants really haven't dropped. And it's always surprising that you think like, you know, the topic that's not going to be of interest gains the most registrants, which is. It's, I see that with the podcast. It's like almost impossible to predict. It is. It's what people are going to like. Completely, yeah. completely. Things that I was so nervous that, oh my God, if we have five people and, you know, and then we have 45. So it's, are any of your peers doing this or do you think this is really uniquely Taft? I think this might be uniquely Taft, although I could be wrong. I know like when we really started to seriously look at hosting these, 
we worked pretty quickly because we could, right? We weren't, <laughs> we weren't planning for in-person events at the time. Um, but we also looked at a lot of smaller colleges to see what mm-hmm. they were doing because we knew that they were and took what worked well for them and what didn't work well and, and kind of molded our own. Yeah. You're making me think of, you know, we had Tom Lockerbie from Andover on here, uh, I think a month or so ago, and he made a similar uh, comparison that the size of the advancement team, the size of the campus and the endowment, et cetera, really is a little bit more comparable to a small liberal arts college. And, you know, as you're talking about the offerings, I'm thinking about my small liberal arts college Trinity, where they, they offered a lot of online events during the pandemic and I did go to some of them and enjoy them I, so. I actually I went to one of Trinity's I snuck you in did? I, yeah I'm not a bantam and I I did I snuck into one of their one of their events we have a former parent in our office of a Trinity alum and oh, she was funny. kind enough to to let me try it out and that was really it was really helpful because I could watch what they were doing and say, okay, I, you know, I think that this will work really well for our constituents. And and then there are pieces that I thought, well, if we change this, it'll resonate more or, you know, it will, it will help us more. That's so funny. So let, let's scale back and talk a little bit big picture because I'm not being subtle here. I think this concept is really cool. And if I were leading a team within this size and needs and everything, I think I would want to implement this kind of project, but there's always fear around culture, you know, changing culture is hard. And, you know, I had sort of hinted at this earlier, but like how it fits with the gift officers and alumni relations. And I just like to hear a little bit about how you gained buy-in from the team. And, you know, I think it helps that you were at Taft for, you've been there for seven years, but talk to us about that. I asked, I honestly, I asked myself that question a lot and it, it is one of the challenges of my position. And I've had this, I've had very honest conversations with my director. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm stepping on anyone's toes, right? Because a lot of my position overlaps with several different areas in our, right. within the department. I think I've always felt very close with my colleagues and in our work, but now it's just much more deliberate, you know, having been here prior to moving into this position was very helpful and having those relationships with my colleagues has been very helpful. Regardless of who we're talking about or it's human nature to feel nervous or territorial. It just is. Completely. And I think that that was, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want my position to challenge anyone in a negative way. I think that if I can help aid in someone's success, then that's what I want to do. And, and it is, it's, it's all a team effort. And I think that we have a really open communication, which I appreciate. And knowing that I've worked with different teams prior to my role has been really beneficial to me and, and, and helping. Yeah. We talked a little bit about yield, but do you have any other data to support the initiative and how it's moved the needle for the team? Yeah. So I think engagement and data have a really tricky relationship. It's hard to measure and compare, like if you're comparing it to your giving metrics, right? But, But you can do it. So after 2020, we really started to look at what we could measure. 
the first quarter of 2021, so January to April 2021, we hosted six different virtual events. Our average number of registrants for those events was 100. And if you compare that to in-person, A, we wouldn't have hosted six in-person events during those four months, or it would be very unlikely to have hosted that. And had we, we would not have there would not have been a hundred people at each of those events. So I think that in and of itself is, you know, says a lot, Um, but the number of registrants who may, so out of all the folks that registered for those six events, 90 of them made a gift following their event. Nine zero. Nine zero. Wow. 11 of those gifts came from registrants who had not previously made a gift to the school. Wow. That's great. Yeah. I was really excited to have seen that and to be able to measure it too, because I think it's really difficult to measure engagement. Um, it's, it's not, a, it's not black and white, so you have to get a bit creative, but yeah, I was really pleased to have seen that and to be able to report that. So did you have a giving button at the end of the event or was this, was there a follow-up email with a giving button? Yes. So after each event, Every registrant would receive an email from me saying, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Most times those emails would include the contact information of the host. So if they had questions for that person following or wanted to continue a conversation, they were able to do that. It also had a recording of the event in case they had missed it. And then it also included a, a support button at the bottom. I've heard from other people that there was hesitation in doing that in the past that should now that's a best practice. Yeah, I think it, I really think it's standard and it's how we market it and how we communicate it within that email. It doesn't feel like that's the only reason why we're sending it to you. I think having all that other information is really helpful and it doesn't take away from the the support button. I think it adds to it. Mm -hmm. Since you've started in the role, what Mm -hmm. changes have you made along the way? And then looking into the next couple years, what changes do you foresee or what would you like to continue evolving with your work? The challenges that we've all faced in the last year and a half between COVID and social movements, it's really caused us to look at our practices and make sure that we are being inclusive and not just accommodating a certain segment of constituents. So I think that's been really thoughtful in our work over the past year and a half. It's made us ask questions that we really weren't and should have been asking before. And now it's just become a part of our routine when we're looking at new initiatives. And I think that will, that will of course continue. You know, now that we're looking at bringing in-person events back into the mix, um, we want to be sure that we're doing them in a very thoughtful and inclusive and accessible way. And then of course, just, you know, I, I really feel like this, this position, it just continues to evolve and, and responds to what's either happening in the world or on our campus with our, within our constituents, we will have a, a new head of school. Our head of school announces his retirement. So this will be his last year. So I'm sure that within the next year, there will be a lot of changes and I'll be evolving with those changes too. What a great place to be, you know, in your career and, and on the team. It's really exciting. And I remember 
when I was making this shift, this position change, I had, I was talking to a peer in Boston and she said, well, you have to figure out, are you a builder or do you like to stay in your lane? And it took me a minute to, to think it through. And, and, and then it was totally obvious to me, like, no, I, I, I really enjoy building. I enjoy that challenge. I enjoy having to think creatively and really flex that muscle. And this position has truly allowed me to do that. And I think it just continues to trend that way. It's so great, Amanda. I would love to close with my signature question, which is what do you know for sure? Yes. So I know for sure that this takes a village. Um, The more minds that you can put together, the better it will be. You will learn from one another. You will grow together. It will improve your community and your team. We have this really incredible resource called, it's called the Peer School Group. It's an email chain that has hundreds of our peer schooled colleagues on it. And we literally blast emails and questions to one another. It feels like pretty constantly (laughs) at at times, but it's, you know, it's incredible to be able to have that resource and connect with other schools and see what they're doing and see what works well. So I think knowing that, you know, we're, we're kind of all in this together and if you can help someone, you should and, and accept help yourself too. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I hope this episode inspires you to try something different, to take staff that have demonstrated relationships and success and do something different outside of the box for your organization. This is a great example of getting to donors in new ways, building pipelines, and collaborating across teams. Thanks so much for listening, and please connect with me on Instagram at devdebrief or on LinkedIn. You can also check out my new website at www.devdebrief.com. Please subscribe there for updates and additional information. Talk next week.